Well, hey, good morning to you, Grace. It is so good to see you this morning, and I hope you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Acts and chapter 2. Acts and chapter 2 and verse 44 and 45 is what we're going to be looking at this morning. We just finished the Christmas season. I know it seems like so last year, but we just finished the, the Christmas season. So how many of you bought something online during this last Christmas season? Let's see how technologically advanced our group here is today. Look at us. All right. If I would have asked that question like five years ago, none of you would have. That number has increased significantly. But interestingly, only 15% of purchases in the U.S. are done online. And so that means most of you ended up in a store sometime this last Christmas season too. And no doubt when you end up in stores, you end up with some really bad customer service. How many of you have ever experienced something bad from a customer service point of view at a store ever before? Ever, not just this year, ever before. I'm surprised there isn't more than that. We at the Zicker family have a whole band list, a band of stores that we won't go to because of something happened. And so then, of course, there's a reverse side to that bad customer service experience. They're the people who work in retail, the people who work in retail stores. And so who are the people in here who have ever, ever worked in retail? I want to see who you are. Boom, all right. You are all the people who had customer service problems probably. That was you, okay? I worked in retail for a long, long time, and this last Christmas season, I was reading through Google News. Now, I don't know why this was on Google News, but this was on Google News. The article was, The Worst Things About Working Retail. So I have to read that article. And so I could totally identify with that article. It had this long list of things that were really bad about working in retail. And I've narrowed it down to seven. <laughs> it was long. And so I want to show you the seven things that are really bad about working in retail. Don't take notes on this unless you work in retail in which you already know what they are. You have them memorized already. Okay, so here are the bad things about working in retail. The customers who keep shopping past closing time. Yes, that's what I want to do with my Friday night is spend an extra hour of my time watching you browse around to spend $11. That's what I want to do with my time. And then there's this one. It's the parents who let their kids turn the entire store into a playground, and then you have to go and clean it all up. The parents think it's fun. You know, it's a place to go for vacation or something, your store, and you have to clean it up. Now, this isn't like in any order or anything. I think the next one is the worst part of working in retail. <laughs> people, people. There's like 10% of people, 10% of the customers are great. The other 90 slowly force you to hate humanity. That's what, that's what people do. And then there are the customers who complain about the prices. You know, you got hired like two weeks ago to work for the holiday season, and they're complaining to you about the price of the $10 t-shirt. Yes, I've worked here for two days, and you want me to change the price in a multi-billion dollar company. I can do that for you, you know. Then, there are, uh, then there's the whole cleaning the store situation. Usually the way it works in retail, and those of you who've been there know, the boss will say, once you have your section cleaned, you can go home, you know, and so you start working on your end cap, you start working on all the shelves that you have to fix, and so you can get home early, and then another family of kids just run through and just demolish everything, and the boss comes by and says, looks like you're staying late tonight, stop letting the kids into the store, and then there are the customers who expect you to go shop for them, they're the ones who expect you to go fetch all their stuff for them, 
if you do this, let me just tell you what's happening on the backside. If you just say, hey, I'm a large, go shop, here's what you do. They're giving you all the stuff nobody else wants to buy. They have to unload it somehow, and they're going to unload it on the people who don't care, okay? So if you do that to someone, that's what you're going to get, stuff that nobody wants. I think my favorite one on the entire list are the customers who think that you're hiding all the good stuff in the back stock room, Hey. Let me give you a little bit of insight from someone who's, who's been there. If you're browsing and you, you know, see something that they don't have your size or the color, and you call someone over and, and say, hey, do you have this? And if that person says, I'm sorry, no, everything is out of the stock room. This is all we have. Believe them. Believe them. Okay? Don't say, well, hey, could you just go check in the back room anyway? Because when you say that, let me tell you what happens. They go to the stock room. They take a five-minute break. They talk trash about you for those five minutes, and then they come back out, and they still tell you that there's nothing in the stock room. And so just believe them, okay? If you don't believe them, go buy it on Amazon, okay? That's what you need to go do. So if you do any of these things, don't tell them you come to Grace Community Church, okay? Don't tell them you've come here at all. But what do you notice about this list? What's something that stands out to you about this list? It's all about people, Working with people is so hard. Who wants to sign up for a customer service job now that you see this list? You know, I mean, this is hard. I have bad news for you. That's what's next in our series. That is what's next. We're following in this what's next series. We're following the life of the new church. When I say new church, I mean all these new Christians start to band together, and it's called the local church, and we're starting to learn what they did in the book of Acts, A-C-T-E-S, the actions of this very first church. As a matter of fact, all these people, when we first meet them, they're not even Christians. As a matter of fact, they're making fun of, of the Christians, and Peter goes out, tells them the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and they, they then start to take these spiritual steps and growing closer to God. And they did it all together. And the reason that they did it all together is because those people, they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ all together. The very first time that they heard it, they all put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so they start taking these steps together. And the same steps that they took in the first century are the same steps that we still take today in growing closer to the things of God. It's just that we don't take those steps together because we have people in our church who've been saved for 60 years. We have people in our church who've been saved for 16 years. We have people in our church who've been saved for six months. And so we have everything in between. And so in this series, I'm just wanting you to identify what's your next step in growing closer to the things of God this year. What's your next step? I don't want you to do all of them. I just want you to pick the one that is right for you. And so that's why I asked you to turn to Acts chapter 2, because we're just going to start taking that next step. But I want to kind of catch you up on where we've been. Uh, The very first step, and we studied this all the way back four weeks ago, is in Acts chapter 2. 2 verse 38. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Here was the first step. Peter said to them, repent and then each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So that's the first step and the second step. Peter comes out to all these people and he tells them that Jesus is the Messiah. Now see that is, that's going to have to be a change of mind for these people. That's what repent means by the way, to change your mind, to go the other direction. 
That's what repent means. See, they thought Jesus was of Satan. That was the accusation, and that's why they didn't follow him as the Messiah. And so Peter comes out and says, no, 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 you need to repent. You need to change your mind about who Jesus is. He's not of Satan. He lays out his, his, the groundwork of who Jesus is. He is the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. He, he came, he died on the cross for your sin. Three days later, he rose from the grave, and then he went back up into heaven, promising that he would come back someday, and he sent the, the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of Christ. You need to change your mind about who Jesus is. He's not of Satan, he's of God, and he's the only way to get to heaven. Your sins separate you from God, but Jesus is the one that died for your sins so that you can have the hope of eternity in heaven. Change your minds, repent, and there's some people in this room who have in the last four weeks who have done that. They've taken that step when they heard the truth of the things of God. And then the next step is then baptism. We had a baptism first service. There's some nice warm water right over there in the baptismal, but that water doesn't wash away any sin. When someone walks down in there, they're already going to heaven. It's not repent and be baptized and then you're going to heaven. It's repent. Change your mind about Jesus. You actually are baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. It's a dry baptism. And then the next step then is water baptism, making your faith public in front of people. And many of you in this room have already taken those steps. And so then the the next week we looked at verse 42. This was the next step. It says, they, who were they in verse 42? They, well, it's just referring to verse 41, right before it, it says in verse 41, so then those who had received his word, meaning they were saved, they put their faith and trust in Jesus as their savior, they believed who he was, and they were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So we have 3,120 people, they're all baptized now. Now they, here's their next step. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were committing themselves to learning from God. And so that was the week that we talked about creating good habits. And some of you made that your next step. You decided that you were going to be learning from God every day. You committed to reading your Bible every day. See, in the first century, they didn't didn't have the Bible. They had the apostles, so they, they were committing to learning from them. Now we have the Bible. And so you committed to waking up 10 minutes earlier. Some of you to read the Bible five minutes to read a chapter and then spend five minutes for prayer. Most Christians say they pray, by the way, but most Christians do not read the Bible. And so some of you have made that as your next step, and I'm glad that that's the case. Some of you are already committed to the things of God in that way. You're already saved. And so then last week we talked about what is outlined in verse 42. Not only the apostles' teaching, but also the fellowship. That's another thing. That's a different thing. That's, uh, that's a, a closeness, a relationship. Uh, that's the koinonia, the partnership, uh, knowing other people and other people knowing you. Uh, beyond salvation and, and being baptized and reading the Bible, uh, then there's a people part. And some of you have been saved. Some of you have been baptized and you're committed to things of God. You're just missing the people part. You're just not, you just don't, don't belong. And that's what we talked about last week was belonging to a group of Christians and the necessity, the biblical necessity for a Christian to belong to a group of Christians. In the first century, the Bible says that Christians fell away because they weren't closely connected to a group of other Christians just because of pressure that was put on them in persecution. The Bible also says that in the book of Revelation that Christians are going to fall away because they are not closely tied to a group of other Christians. And that is what 
fellowship is, the koinonia, the closely tying together, the partnering with other, not just showing up on a Sunday morning, the close ties and bonds of believers. And so last week, some of you, that was your next step, and you committed to, to joining our Grace membership family. You joined a small group, and as you begin to weave lives together, it allows us to carry heavier and heavier burdens as we do it together. And so that was last week of belonging. That was a next step for some of you. And maybe you've taken those steps. You're saved, you're baptized, you're committed to the things of God and his word, and, and you're, already, uh, you're already a member here at Grace, member of our church family. Well, today is your next step. And if you already, if you already do today, if you're already kind of doing today's step, then next week for sure is yours. But there's some of you who need to begin serving here at Grace. You need to begin serving other people. You need to find a ministry here at Grace. Like, oh no, people. Yes, it's going to be hard. Okay, that's the promise. And so let me show that to you in Acts chapter 2. We're just continuing to read through what happened in the book of Acts. And we are now in verse 44. In verse 44, it says, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. That's it. It doesn't give us a lot of info on what exactly was happening here and what what was the story behind it. Well, I want to show you the story a little bit more behind it. Just turn in your Bibles over one page to Acts 4, verse 33. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. There's a little more story here, a little more detail to what is being referred to in Acts 2. In verse 33 of chapter 4, it says, And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. They were sharing the gospel. They were doing what apostles do. Verse 34, For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them, and bring the proceeds of the sales, and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. There's a little more detail, and you're wondering, what in the world do you want us to do? You want us to sell our house and give it to you? What kind of socialistic, <laughs> what kind of welfare system do you, wanna, you want us to do here? Right? Let me describe what is happening. First, I want to describe it to you in just a big way, then we're going to look at it in detail, and we're going to go back to the big way. Here's the, here's the big idea that's happening here. When the church works as intended, Christians meet the needs of other Christians. If we're going to boil that down, that's what this is saying. When the church is working as, it, as it's supposed to, Christians will meet the needs of other Christians. So you have to know what's happening here in the story. When Peter gave that, that sermon to those, to those party, remember they're at that Feast of Weeks party, and thousands of people show up because strange things are happening at this house of 120 Christians. And Peter gives the gospel message and those people are miraculously saved. They're from out of town. They came for that party. And you know what happened? They didn't want to go home. They didn't go home. They stayed right there because they were so interested in the apostles' teaching. It'd be like you being saved and then all of a sudden getting a Bible. Like, wow, these are things I never heard before. And so they didn't want to leave. They were out of towners. Some of them even spoke other languages, but they just didn't want to leave. And so this church in the first century had a very unique issue. It's not an issue that we have at Grace Community Church today. 
Their issue was they had all these people that didn't have a house to live in, that didn't have any food, they weren't prepared to be there longer than just the vacation that they had come on, but now they wanted to stay. And so now this church has a big issue to to deal with. That was what was going on. Now, we don't have that problem. We don't have lots of -of out-of-towners, 3,000 people that just got saved all of a sudden. We don't have that, but they did in the first century, and so this church made every effort to take care of those people. When the church works as intended, Christians begin to meet the needs of other Christians, and the point here is today, the way that they did that in the first century, the process that they did it, It's the same way that we still meet the needs of Christians today. Now, we do it a little differently because we don't have the same issues, but the process in which they did it, we still do it in the exact same way today. Now, there's still even more to the story, a little more detail so you kind of understand what's happening. Remember, when you get 3,000 people together, that's people. And when you get people together, you have problems because people equals problems. We already realize that. And so, turning your Bibles, just two more pages over to Acts chapter 6. I want to show you some of the problems that came up because of all of these Christians being here, uh, being unprepared for, for living there. I want to show you what was going on in that church. In Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, meaning the church was growing, it was 120, then it was 3,120, and the book of Acts continues to give more and more numbers in the way that the church was growing, and it was increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Jews. The Hellenistic Jews are the Greek culture Jews. That's who those people are. And what was their complaint? Well, their complaint was their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. The customer service just isn't good, okay? We're not getting served the way we should, and that was the complaint. Remember, when you get people together, there are always going to be problems. And so, what do you do with something like this? They weren't prepared necessarily for it, and so the apostles gave uh, an instruction what to do. Look at verse 2. And so, the twelve the 12 apostles summoned the congregation. So everybody that was a part of this church, 3,120 plus people, and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. They were essentially saying, we are called to this. We're called to reaching people for Jesus, spreading the gospel, and discipling the Christians that are here. That is our calling. But then we have this other need in our church. We have these people that need to be served. Their table needs to be served too. Both are good ministries. Both are important ministries. But if we go to this one, we can't do what we are called to. And so, the apostles say, verse 3, say, Therefore, because of this problem, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. What is this task? The serving of the widows, the the serving of the tables, the taking care of the distribution of food. The word there in Greek is diakonos. That's the word, diakonos. Now, you'd think that this would be a pretty simple job, a pretty simple thing, and this would be the one that you'd give to the sales associate that just started working last week, and you'd have him go do that. But no, 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 no. This is an important responsibility. So important that there are requirements for these people. The requirements are they have to be of good reputation, they have to have a good rep, 
They have to be full of the Holy Spirit. They're living a life honoring Jesus so that other people could notice it. And they're supposed to be wise people. Those are the requirements. And so they looked at their group, looked at their church, the people who were in their church, and they pulled from them seven people who matched those qualifications. These were the very first diakonoses, the very first deacons. That's where we get deacons, right here. The very first deacons, the very first deacons were right here pulled out of the church so that they could do the waiting on of the tables and they could serve each other in ministry. Okay? Remember, the big idea here is that when the church works like it should, Christians begin to meet the needs of other Christians. That's what a local group of Christians does for each other. I just want to remind you that this church had some issues, you know, and so they had to address it with their situation, selling property, making sure people had food, making sure people had housing. Now, we don't have that issue. That's not an issue that we have, and so though the the specific way that it worked is not the way that we do the same things here, but the process, the things behind the scenes that made all of this work for them is the same as it works for us. You know, when we think of service, we think of, you know, customer service. When we think of serving people, we think of customer service. So we usually think of service kind of being in a structure kind of like, you know, this, the corporate structure, that the CEO is the one that everybody else serves. And so I just, this is kind of like a, a retail uh, that's what I'm familiar with, the retail corporate structure. Everybody, the senior VP, all the way down the store, they're all there to serve the CEO's vision, uh, his purposes, his goal. The CEO doesn't serve people. Uh, everybody else serves the CEO. And I'm very familiar with this. In the retail world that I worked for, probably every second or third year, the president of this multinational billion-dollar company would arrive to our store. He'd show up in a limousine with like four black SUVs following him with his minions in those SUVs. And he would walk in the store and we'd be all standing on the aisles, dressed in our suits. We'd been working overnight for the last four days to make sure the store was just perfect. And we desperately hoped that he would grant us his blessing in the department that we were in. As he walked down the aisle, the way that he would bless our department is by not complaining about it. But that never happened. As he walked down the aisles, he would point at this and he would point at that and all of his minions behind him, the VPs and the regionals would all be writing down all the, everything that he said. Oh, we gotta do that. Oh, that's a great idea. We need to do that. Oh, that's a good one. Let's write that down. And so they'd, they'd take all those notes and they would distribute them. They wouldn't go fix it. Where would they go? It would go all the way back to the store employees for us to implement and to serve everybody that was above us. So I'm very familiar with this. And you're familiar with this too. You're used to this. When you're a customer at a store, you understand where you fit. You know, the store employees are always on the bottom, you know, they're on the bottom. So you as a customer, you know where you fit because that's why when you go into a store and you don't get the service that you expect, you say, oh, I want your district manager's name. Get okay? Right? Because you know that one is supposed to serve the other and you know that there's someone else above you who could take care of all the problems, Right? You understand where you fit. This is how we understand service in the United States. This is our culture when it comes to service. But this is not biblical service. And I want to talk to you about what biblical service is. It is completely the other way around. It is the triangle is inverted. 
And as the point gets narrower and narrower, as there are more and more restrictions on the person, they are actually doing more and more serving. So I want to kind of show you how this works in a church since we're talking about serving other people. I want to kind of show you how it works. There are many different types of people in our church today. And at the top of this pyramid are the guests. Those of you who are visiting us for the first time today or for the first couple of times, just trying to figure out if this is the right church for you or not. You didn't pay anything to show up here. Hey, you didn't do anything to show up here. You didn't prepare ahead of time to make any of this happen. You just showed up. And you parked in your closest parking spot you could, and you get to enjoy all of this. And that's the way that it should be. When people come to our church, this is part of who we are. We want to reach more people for Jesus. How can we reach people for Jesus? How can we disciple them? Unless you are bringing your friends, inviting the people you know, and people come in so that we can do those things. And that is what was happening in the first century church too. Remember, there were 120 of them, and 3,000 showed up to see what was going on. And so Peter told them the gospel, so they were saved. Other people then showed up to see what was going on. And so there were non-Christians people who were thought of as the outsiders, but they were brought in so that they could hear the things of Jesus, the things of the gospel, and that's what we want to do here at Grace Community Church, too. We want, we want our guests to feel comfortable. We don't want them to have to do anything or think anything or pay anything. We just want you to enjoy your time. We even tell you, don't put any money in the offering bag, okay? Because we don't want you to feel like you paid for something here. You're just our guest. We want you to feel like our our guest. And we do that in so many ways. We think about the people who are visiting, you know, our, our website. We try to make it as simple and clean as possible so that you know when our worship services are and, and what it would be like when you come. So there's a little bit of familiarity there before you turn in our driveway. We have a lot of parking. We have, even have signs out in the parking lot walking you up about what to be ready for, about where things might be. So you already have an idea of where you might be going. We have people stationed outside at our front doors uh, to go greet you. Now, I know they greet all of you, but their real purpose is to notice the people that are kind of unsure where they're going. Their real purpose is to make sure that the people who are guests know where to go and can kind of give them a little bit of direction. We design our lobby so that it's understandable and clear where they should go. As soon as you walk into our lobby, you know exactly where the restrooms are. You know exactly where you should go to be a part of a worship service. We don't fill it with a lot of um, religious things that would kind of alienate someone that really wasn't familiar with uh, church at all. In here, we try to make our worship services clean and organized so people, are, again, aren't confused about what's happening. And it's all with the purpose and thought of how can, can we make our church welcoming to people who are guests. And these guests are served by everyone down below them who have put lots of money into it, put lots of energy into it, put lots of thought of it. And, uh, and the guests are completely served. And for those of you who are not guests, who are somewhere else on this, hey, you're feeling like, well, that's not fair. Hey, it was the same way when you showed up for the first time too, wasn't it? right? You got the same thing too when you came for the first time. This is the way that it should be. And no pay, no vested interest, just enjoy it and try to figure out if this is the right place for you or not. And everyone below them serves the guests, okay? Put a lot of time and energy and effort to make sure that the guests have a great time when they're here. Now, the kind of the next group of people on this list, we call them kind of internally here at Grace, we call them friends of the family, 
friends of the family. They haven't joined our church family yet. They're friends of the family. Probably for other people, the word would be regular attenders. Those of you who regular attend Grace Community Church, usually people who are regular attenders, they make some sort of commitment to either be here consistently or to be in a small group or to sacrificially give financially uh, for, the, for our church's ministry. And so even in that way, the regular tenders are serving the guests. But really the Bible doesn't talk much about uh, that group at all. Uh, the Bible says that people are saved and then they join a church. They join a church family and so we'll move quickly to that one. These are people who have joined our church family membership. They're a part of the numbers as Acts was taking numbers for who was in their church. Well, there were numbers there. And so same, we have a membership family. And it's really easy to join our membership family. We don't have a lot of requirements. The two requirements are you're saved, you're a Christian, and you've been baptized. That's just how we know that you are a Christian. And so the process for becoming a part of our church family is you fill out an application after you attend GCC Connection. And that's just a, a class where Pastor Chuck helps us clarify to you who we are, what we do, what we believe, our history, our practices, all those kinds of things. You can ask any question you want about who we are, what we do. And after that, then you fill out an application. Hey, I want to I wanna be a part of the family. And, and on that application, though, there's some commitments that they make. They make commitment, one, to serve in our church. They make a commitment to sacrificially give at Grace Community Church. They make a commitment to uh, submit to the elder leadership at Grace. And fourthly, and probably the hardest one, is they make a commitment to live a life honoring to Jesus as a believer, morally godly life. Now, that's pretty restricting, isn't it? Notice as the pyramid is getting narrower, there's more and more restrictions, right? Members committing to, to live a life of moral godliness. A, a Christian is committing to serve and uh, committing to give. There's a lot more restrictions. And those people, as they give, they are beginning to serve the people that are above them. But there's some great benefits, not just responsibilities, great benefits to being a part of a, a church family. Um, just like there is to being a part of your family, there's great benefits. Um, you get to protect the gospel that comes from Grace Community Church by selecting the deacons and deaconesses and elders here at Grace. Uh, we have a celebration banquet. We have a dinner, a big party. We celebrate all that God has done for us in the previous year, completely free, no fundraising. just fun celebrating. There are great benefits. One of the great benefits of being a part of the church family is you get to serve in a ministry. You get to begin serving other people. And so now the people who have more restrictions, the people who have made more commitments, the people who have invested more, they are serving more people. That's just upside down in the way that it works in the corporate world. In the corporate world, the more you move up the ladder, the less people you have to serve. The more people that are serving you, this is just the opposite. Servant-oriented ministry is completely upside down. This is like, you know, some... A regional manager finding out that you had to work late because some kids rolled through your department and you having to fix it all up late at night. This would be like that regional leaving their family and their house on a Friday night saying, you go home and I'm going to fix this section for you. Has that ever, ever happened? I have worked in retail a long time. Never has that happened because that's not the way our world works. We're always trying to serve the people uh, above us and, and we know that someone's gonna serve us too and once we get to this level, now there's some people that I don't have to serve. That is completely upside down in a biblically serving church. And so what then comes after, after the church family? What, what comes next after that? 
Well, pulling from that church family, pulling from those members of that church family, you have the deacons. You have the diakonoses. That's why in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, it says, Therefore, brethren, select from among you. Among who? Among, among the guests that just showed up today? That'd be kind of weird. Like, it's your first day, and like, hey, we want you to be a deacon in our church, and we want you to go mow the lawn. <laughs> no. Okay? The deacons and the deaconesses are pulled from the family, from the, from the group that, belongs, that is belonging together. From them, that's where they pulled the very first diakonesses was from that group. And the deacons and the deaconesses have even more requirements than were outlined in chapter 6, verse 3. In 1 Timothy, there's a whole long list of requirements. It gets even narrower for deacons and deaconesses. The more restrictions and the more responsibilities, uh, the, the closer that you are growing to God, the more people you serve, not the less. It's kind of weird. And so deacons and deaconesses in any church should be the ones who are implementing ministry. That's the way it is here at Grace. Every ministry that we have here has deacons and deaconesses in it or leading it. This is the way that it should be. They are the ones that are, are the chief uh, servants. They are the ones who are implementing the, the ministry at Grace Community Church. Uh, and in the retail mind, it would be like they are the employees of the month. You know, the employee of the month thing, uh, some stores that you go to, they have like a sign out front that, that this is where the employee of the month parks. You know, they have their own spot. It'd be like right out here in the green spots. Uh, and there'd be a sign there, employee of the month. And so that's, that's where they would park. And, you know, sometimes you go to retail stores and that's like the only spot open in the entire parking lot is the employee of the month. Why aren't they working on the busiest day? I can't figure that out. But they're not there and you wonder why not. Well, our deacons and deaconesses don't get a spot up front. Our deacons and deaconesses park on the way back. You didn't know that. You just drove up and you just parked in the closest spot you could. But our deacons and deaconesses, even though they've invested more, they've committed more, they spend more time here, they got here earlier than you, they'll leave later than you, they park out there as a, as a way to allow you to park closer. You didn't even think of that. But that is how they are serving you in so many different aspects of ministry here at Grace Community Church. And so who comes next? Who's next in this kind of leadership serving structure? Well, now you have the elders. You have the elders of a church who are selected from that, from that deacon board. And the requirements here are even narrower. There are two parts of scripture in Timothy and in Titus that describe the narrow, uh, confining uh, identifiers that you could look for in an elder and you would see it inside of them so that you could approve of them in your church. They are called by God and they restrict their lives for your benefit. They advocate for your spiritual birth. They pray for and advocate for your spiritual development, your spiritual growth, they are called by God. One of the responsibilities in scriptures for elders is that they are responsible for the souls of the people that are in their church. That's a pretty high calling. 
And they do that in all sorts of ways. They serve in ministries all around our church, small groups, big groups. And they do that so that they can get to know you and you can get to know them. And so that you have people that you can ask questions of, that you can trust the advice that they, they give you. They fund the ministries here at Grace. As you give sacrificially here, it is the elder board that decides where that money goes uh, for the ministries that we have here at Grace Community Church. And they restrict their lives in ways that really you'll never know for your spiritual benefit. There's more restriction, and yet they are serving more people. They don't demand to be served. The elders don't demand to be served. They're the ones that are saying, where can I help? How can I f- make this work better for, for you? And then who's on the bottom of the list? Who's in the bottom, qu- the C- CEO quadrant? Of course, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus says, done more for our church and really any church, than any human person ever could. The sacrifices that he has made for us, it it creates the foundation by which we can even operate in a servant-oriented way. Jesus being God, having the glory of heaven, I mean, it's better than a CEO. CEO steps out of his office, and he comes to planet Earth and lives inside of the womb of a 16-year-old girl. That's confining. And then once he's born, he is homeless, he's abused, he's mocked, he's ridiculed, made fun of, laughed at behind his back, and then it gets physical, and he gets beaten, and finally he gets put on a cross, and he dies. This is the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us, and that is the foundation. He really is the chief servant of any of the servants at Grace Community Church, and he still serves us every single day by washing our feet clean as we apologize to him for the sins that we commit and we confess them to him. He washes our feet clean, making sure that we have a fellowship with God. This is who Jesus Christ is. He's the one that allows us to do what we do around here at Grace, and that's what the Bible confirms. The Bible says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man, that's the name for Jesus, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Hey, you serve me. Hey, you do it for me. Hey, hey, here's a list of things that you need to do before I come back here or else you're going to get fired. No, 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 no. That's what your boss would do at work. That's our structure. But no, he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is like um, Jeff Bezos of uh, Amazon Half of all internet sales go through Amazon, half. Jeff Bezos, the leader of one of the largest companies in the entire world. This would be like Jeff Bezos getting in a little small subcompact white car with a toaster that you ordered on Amazon last night and him driving it to your house and ringing your doorbell first at 8 a.m. in the morning, ringing your doorbell saying, I know you need a toast this morning. It would be like that. Has that ever happened? No. Will that ever happen in our culture? No. That's not, that's not the, the structure in the world that we live in. But that's the way that Jesus Christ operates. He comes out of heaven to us because we couldn't get to heaven without him. He is the chief servant of, of us. And so then with all of that in mind, understanding what service is like and, and how Christians Meet the needs of other Christians. This is how Peter kind of sums it up. It says, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins, meaning we can offend each other a lot because we're people and people are people, but, but love covers some of that. 
It says, be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, did you know that because you have been saved, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you receive a a gift, an ability to serve the other people in this church? Do you know that? What's your ability? I don't know. I don't know what yours is. But you have one. Do you know what yours is? You have one. And the reason that you have it is not to to make it better for yourself. It's to make it better for the other people who are around you. That's what this verse says. It says, you received a special gift. Employ it in the serving of one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Meaning, don't waste God's grace. Don't waste God's grace. God has given you a gift. You've been saved. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Now you've received a gift. Don't waste God's grace there. Don't waste it. The reason that that you are a part of a local group of Christians is not only so that you can be served and other people can help carry your heavy load. One of the reasons that you're here, a part of a church family, is so that you can serve other people. And it concludes with, whoever serves is to do as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, not your own. If you do it in your own strength, you're going to fail. You're going to get tired. You're going to get, you know, complain about those people. You're going to get tired of their lack of appreciation. They didn't thank you enough. You're going to get tired of it. But with God's strength, you can do it. And so bring it back big again. When the church works as it is intended, Christians meet the needs of other Christians. That's what was happening in the book of Acts. Now, their needs were different than our needs, right? Their situation was a little different than our situation. But still, the process is exactly the same. And so, for some of you, your next step is to be serving in ministry here at Grace Community Church. Not all of you. Remember, this series is about what's the next step for you. And if your next step is to be baptized, if you haven't been baptized yet, that is your next step. I don't want you serving in ministry until you've been baptized. Let's do the right order. But there are some people in here who already saved, you already been baptized. You love the things of God, you're committed to his word. You belong here, Grace. You feel like you have some friends and you're building bonds. You're a member here, but you just aren't serving others. You, you're waiting for someone to serve you. You're waiting to call the district manager if you don't get served the right way. But see, that is, that's our culture's thinking. And the Bible would say, no, 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 we are here to serve each other. And as soon as I say this, I know some things are going through your brain. And one of the things that's going through your mind is, I'm just not that needed around here. Have you thought that? I'm just not needed. Look, all of this happened without me. You know, my kids are being taken care of. Parking lot was clean. Everything was unlocked. You know, coffee was hot and the temperature is fine in here. The seats are, so, you know, it, it all happened without me. And so I'm not needed. You are needed. There is so much ministry that, that we could continue to do, that we could add if you would be willing to serve in ministry. So we have a place for you. I don't want you to ever think that there is not a place for you in ministry. That is one of the roles of a pastor is to be an equipper of the saints. I'm not to do it all. I'm to equip people so that they can serve each other in a church. And so I'm trying to equip you here and being prepared for this. And so we do need you. I don't want everybody to be signing up for ministry. Remember, 
I want you to pick the next step that's right for you. But some of you need to tear up that little card that's in your bulletin, that little welcome card, and on there is a little section where I want to serve here. I want to serve in a ministry. I want you to mark that thing. Put your name on it. Make sure we have your cell phone number and email address. And if you are already a member here at Grace, you've been saved, you've been baptized, I want you to begin to serve. Use God's gift. Don't waste His grace. Begin to serve other people. So one thing you can think of is, I'm just not needed. The second thing is, I don't know enough. I just don't know enough. Perfect. You meet the qualifications. <laughs> Those are the qualifications. I don't know what to do. Perfect. Now, we're not going to put you somewhere where you're not a right fit. If you can't sing, you're not going to be up here. So, you know, relax. That's why I don't sing up here. I can't sing. I can sing. I just can't sing, you know. And so some of you are in that place. I can't sing either. Well, then you won't be up here. But you could clean out a coffee carafe, couldn't you, from Hebrews Kiosk? Like, oh man, I, I don't want to do that. I do that every day. Well, you could hold a baby in the nursery, couldn't you? That's too womanly. I don't do that. You could protect our cars. You could be part of the security around this place, couldn't you? Sure you could. You don't know what to do? We'll help you find a place here. Some of you need to take this next step and serve in ministry here. It's not about having a title. It's not about being a deacon or, or a deaconess. You have great spiritual gifts, and they're not meant for you. They're meant for other people, and I want you to start using God's grace for that. And the third thing possible that you might be thinking, I've already addressed, I'm not needed. I've already addressed, I don't know enough. But some of you might be wondering, well, I don't know my gift. I don't know what my spiritual gift even is, and so I'm just not going to volunteer until I know what my spiritual gift is. I'm going to give you some advice that was given to me. This is how you find your spiritual gift. Just do something just do something. This is how you find your spiritual gift, is just by doing something. And over time, God will move you and adjust where you are and put you into places that you never imagined that you would be because of the gifts that he's given you. That's how I started. I started teaching little elementary kids in college. What, what did I know about, what do you say to a kid? I don't even know what you say to a first grader. What do you say? hey, man, you're really short. (laughs) What do you say to them? That's where I started. I didn't know a thing. And over time, God has moved me into place. You don't begin serving and, you know, two or three weeks later, I don't like it, I'm gone. Uh For the rest of your life, you begin to serve him. Don't waste God's grace. And he'll put you in places that fit your spiritual gifts over a period of time. And so I want some of you to begin serving in ministry. Now, there are some of you who you're not to sign up for ministry because you still need to be baptized or you need to join our church family. I want you to do those things first. There are some of you in here who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus. You've not repented. You've not changed your mind about who Jesus is. You think Jesus is just a cool guy. He's a great philosopher. He's like Chris Angel and did lots of cool tricks, but you don't think he's God. You think he's something else other than God, and that's your first step. I want you to change your mind about who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He's died on the cross for your sins too. He rose from the grave three days later, proving that he is God. Even Chris Angel didn't do that. And he is in heaven today, and he promises that he will wash away your sin. 
He have the hope of eternity in heaven for you too if you put your faith and trust in him. And I wanna give you at least the opportunity to consider these things before God this morning. So I'm gonna ask all of you, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Just creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. And maybe you do wanna put your faith and your trust in Jesus for the very first time. You're not even sure what to do. Well, let me help you. In the quietness of this moment, all you have to do is talk to God, but not even out loud. God knows your thoughts. He understands your intentions. You don't have to say anything out loud. You don't have to walk anywhere. You don't have to raise your hand. But in the quietness of your own heart, you can address God. And here's something that you could say to him if you believe this. Say, dear God, I, I know that I've sinned and I'm separated from you, and I know that I need a savior. I need someone to save me from that, and other than that, I have to pay for my own sin. And I believe what that pastor says. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he came from heaven and lived a perfect life. I believe that he went to the cross and he died on the cross for my sin. I believe that he rose from the grave. And the only reason that he could do that, I believe he did that because he's God. And he is the only savior. And so I put my faith and my trust and my belief in this savior. I put my eternity into his hands. And with that, immediately there's a promise that now the Holy Spirit comes, lives inside of you. Help you live a life honoring to God. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, many of you have already done that part, but there's some of you who have not begun to use your gifts for God's glory. You're wasting God's grace. You didn't really think of it before like that, Um, but today you are. And here's something that you could say to God if you mean it. God, I'm sorry. I've been wasting the gifts that you've given me. I want to serve you. I just don't know exactly what to do or exactly where or where I'd find the time. But I want to do it. And I just need your help in knowing where and how and how it would work for me. I ask for your leading to help me take this step too. So dear God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for helping us understand ourselves by revealing this church to us in the first century. And thank you for showing us the way that we should go. And for that, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.